0: From the dark recesses of my unconscious mind into the glaring light of objective reality. You are listening to the Dark Mind Podcast. friends and familiars. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Dark Mind Podcast, where we explore the boundless realm of dark literature and film. On today's show, we have a writer with a sick sense of humor and a cool hand under pressure. She's an ER physician by day and a creator of dark fiction by night. She's joining me today to talk about her recent work of dark speculative fiction entitled The Broken Heart. So without further ado, join me as we delve into the dark insight of NJ Gallegos. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Vince.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for joining me on this 14th day of September 2023. I came across your book by recommendation of Claire Castleberry, so I knew the story was going to be dark, but other than that, I honestly didn't know what to expect. What I found was a psychological, biological, medical horror thriller that smacked of your experience as a physician and your love for the craft of horror. So I'm happy to have you on the show today.
1: Well, thank you for the kind words. And I got to give a shout out to Claire because she's fantastic.
0: Do you call her Claire Bear?
1: Yeah. How did you know?
0: Do you really? No. I've always wondered, like, if somebody called her that, how would she respond?
1: (laughs) The next time I see her, I will do it and I'll just I'll record it. So, you know,
0: Okay, well, if she listens to this, just know it's coming. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so the book is about a young woman named Casey that had a promising future ahead of her until she married what turned out to be an abusive alcoholic Through pregnancy, she suffered severe heart complications, which resulted in her having to have a heart transplant, of which the donor turned out to be a serial killer. So, one thing I always found odd was, much like the fuel pump in an engine, the heart is the body's pump that keeps oxygen-rich blood flowing to the systemic circulation, so... Why do you think that poetry, prose, and art of all kinds assign things like emotion, consciousness, even a soul to the heart?
1: I think mostly because whenever you feel an emotion, like a strong emotion, like love or loss, things like that, you typically feel it. At least I do. I feel it like in my chest. So that's why I would imagine that some of that is because I feel like most emotions almost like interpreted that way by the body.
0: Uh-huh. I don't remember where I heard it somewhere, but I heard that uh in some civilizations the seat of the emotions changes. Like in one civilization, don't ask me which one, I'd have to look it up, the seat of the emotion was the bowels.
1: <laughs> Sometimes can be a bit rocky, <laughs> depending. <Yeah. laughs> taco night not so good.
0: <laughs> oh god, taco Tuesdays. <laughs>
1: exactly. We had a taco Thursday already actually. It was oh great. yeah. Yep.
0: Well, One of the first problems that Casey is met with in her marriage is giving up her dream of being a physician, which I don't know if there was uh, some personal experience injected in there. But uh, she studies her ass off for the MCAT, but then puts off medical school never to complete it. Why do you think that after spending your entire teenage life wanting personal autonomy and freedom that a lot of people want to jump right into marriage right out of the high school graduation gate?
1: I think a lot of it is societal pressure, mm. to be honest with you. Especially for a woman, I think that there's that like, "What's your next stage in life? Oh, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids." And like, you know, whenever you go to a function or whatnot, your family's always like, "Well, when are you going to get married? <laughs>
2: when are you going to
1: have children?" Mm. I don't know why my family talks like that because they're from Colorado, so they don't. <laughs> but. Um, But I think that that's a lot of it. You know, I think it's getting better, but there's almost this perception that I've felt before that like, you know, you're not a real woman if you're Mm. not doing these certain steps in this certain amount of time, almost Mm. kind of like an old school way of thinking.
0: Yeah. And I guess they tell women like, oh, you know, your 20s is when you're the most fertile if you're going to have children and.
1: It's kind of sad because like, you know, if you're 35 or older, that's considered a geriatric pregnancy.
0: Yeah. Isn't the cutoff like 35 before they're like, okay, now it's kind of dangerous.
1: Yeah. They're like, you're old as shit. Like, you shouldn't be doing this.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, isn't there some science behind it, though? Or is it just purely you're old (laughs) as (laughs) shit?
1: Mostly that. That's what they summed it up with in medical school. But... uh... (laughs) But no, yeah, like Down syndrome is more common as the maternal age rises. And I'm pretty sure other genetic disorders are, too. Mm. Don't quote me on this, but I think that autism's been linked to like older fathers. So mm. not mothers, but fathers.
0: Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I never really understood the whole genetic Makeup at play when it came to uh, childbirth. Like, I know genes are like a deck of cards, right? That are shuffled together.
1: Yeah, more or less. Yeah.
0: It's not like you're going to have half this and half that. You're going to be this amalgamation of your uh, parents' genes and then it reaches back into the grandparents somehow and just so many things above my intelligence level.
1: Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> it's insane too. Yeah. I'm a nerd like that though, so I like reading about genetics. Mm. And, like, there's little things that'll turn on and off depending on, like, if you're exposed to a certain, you know, like, radiation or things like that. Mm -hmm. It's super odd.
0: Okay. Well, the next thing Casey has to deal with (laughs) was her first (laughs) child, her son, Owen, who was showing all the signs of being a sociopath, possibly should have named him Patrick. What's that reference from? (laughs)
1: Uh, American Psycho. Yes.
0: All right. So being an ER physician yourself, you are an ER physician, right? Emergency room? Yeah. Yep. Have you had cases in the emergency room that involved a child committing violence that appeared to have that maladaptive personality? And if so, if it won't violate HIPAA, could you tell us about it?
1: Yeah. So I've actually been relatively lucky in not having to have any cases where kids did something like very terrible. Mm -hmm. Usually it's more so like teenagers. And typically it's more from like alcohol or, you know, you do cocaine, you get a little pissed off, you do some (laughs) bad shit. Mm -hmm. So I've been lucky enough not to have to like deal with that. I've taken care of children that have been diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, but Mm. not. In that instance, it was, you know, something unrelated, like a sore throat or something. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I always found that strange. Does it have something to do with, I guess, the child's level of emotional development that you call it something different because they're a child as opposed to, okay, if they're still showing these symptoms, the same symptoms, nothing's changed, but they're older now. Now it's a completely different disorder.
1: That's how I understood it, that like if you're under the age of 18 they can't label you as like a sociopath but why
0: <laughs> i guess
1: you can vote so they're like you're a sociopath now right
0: <laughs> yeah i just don't know how child versus adult you know torturing some animal or something like that changes the classification
1: yeah i don't That's know interesting. yeah
0: Well, the next detrimental and the most traumatic event in Casey's life involves the birth of her daughter, which was the result of a horrific conception. Casey develops cardiomyopathy that ends up necessitating getting an LVAD, which is an acronym for Left Ventricular Assist Device. And you really didn't go into the details too deep because it wasn't really relevant to the story, but an LVAD is a pretty crazy piece of equipment. And I thought for the benefit of the listeners, they might find it interesting if you uh, explain the details of what that actually is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So (laughs) the first time I actually ever saw an LVAD, I think I was in medical school watching Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Did you ever watch it all?
0: Uh, Yeah, I've seen a few episodes. Yeah.
1: Because I think it's in the second season. Izzy, one of the interns, falls in love with a man that has an LVAD. Uh And at that time, I never had realized that you could have like a machine that acts as your heart, like legitimately. Mm. So I was like, holy shit, that's wild. And then, yeah, in residency, I took care of people with an LVAD. So... What it is, is it's essentially like a pump, like a motor, and it plums into your left ventricle. So after your blood gets oxygenated by the lungs, it goes into the left ventricle. And normally your left ventricle would pump it up and then into your aorta and go everywhere. But if your heart's not working, it's not going to work. So this LVAD will actually kind of funnel the blood into the aorta itself and then through the body. So it's your replacement heart
0: mm-hmm. and isn't the pump technically kind of like a little turbine
1: kind of like a rotor thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so there's just a steady flow of blood. So do you even have a pulse?
1: You don't actually. So whenever you have to check a blood pressure, you know, normally you listen with the stethoscope, you pump up the, I'm not going to say it right thing, monitor crap, whatever. Uh, yeah. The blood pressure thingy. You know, cuff. You- <laughs> You pump that thing up and you get your blood pressure, but yeah, an LVAD patient, that won't work in.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: you actually use that blood pressure cuff like that and you use like a Doppler ultrasound oh, thing. And that's the only way you can really kind of gauge what their blood pressure and things are. Mm-hmm. And you won't hear a heartbeat either when you listen with your stethoscope. It's just like a motor.
0: Yeah. And if the batteries go dead on that thing, it's game over. You better have some
1: backups. And I actually looked into it because, you know, to me, it just kind of seems silly that you couldn't just like plug it into the wall. But
0: don't they have an adapter?
1: So from what I saw, most of the adapters were for like the batteries. Oh, but I'd have to look into it, you know, to be honest.
0: Yeah, that would. (laughs) And what if you got mugged and they thought it was something, you know, (laughs) like if they thought it was something valuable and didn't know what it was exactly. <laughs> My like, arch, don't sh- <laughs> yeah. Like you literally just, <laughs> could you be convicted of murder if you took an LVAD patient's batteries?
1: I mean, I would, yeah, these are good questions. I'll ask the cops next time I see them. Yeah,
0: Cause you can't do CPR, right?
1: I mean, you can, it's probably not going to work, but yeah. it's like a last ditch effort.
0: Yeah. Cause you might
1: dislodge the device
0: yeah listeners at home. I just wanted you to <laughs> wanted you to hear about the travails of the Lvad. I knew from uh, previous experience It's pretty wild. well yeah. circling back to the book, as Casey deals with the travails of having an lvad she's on the transplant list awaiting a suitable donor heart. Then along comes a man that's involved in a horrific accident that can't be saved, but his meat is still good, so his many (laughs) organs are able to be harvested for donation. And as I alluded to previously, this man just happens to be a serial killer. So I know a lot of people are into true crime and all of its various media, whether that be books, podcasts, documentaries. Was the inspiration for this book a combination of your own personal love of true crime and your medical background, or was the serial killer subject matter inspired by something else?
1: It's definitely a mix of the two. I've grown up in a family that's very into true crime. Like, so my parents, (laughs) my mom and my stepdad, like when they travel somewhere, they'll look up like. Where did Ed Gein live? Oh, we're going by there. And, you know, they'll, they'll like, go by, like, where he lived and stuff. Uh, when they were taking me to the airport once in Denver, we stopped by John JonBenet Ramsey's house, and I took a picture in front of it. Like, <laughs> But, um, yeah, I've always been huge into true crime. And uh, when I was young, my grandma used to order these magazines that were, like, I don't know, they were, like, true stories, but they were, like, very horrific. A Mm. 10-year-old 100% should not have been reading them, but i have like, read them cover to
2: cover.
1: (laughs) And she had this, like, encyclopedia of serial killers, so I would read about this, like, Uh. Ted Bundy and and Dahmer and their childhood very much interests me. Like, Mm. what makes somebody like this? And the fact that, like, really any horrible person that exists, like, Hitler, serial killers, like they once were a child. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, I don't know, it kind of fucks me up a little bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know, unless you're like Owen, you know, I was about to say, you know, at some point everybody's innocent, but I guess there are children, what did you call it? Oppositional, what was Uh, it?
1: Defiant disorder.
0: Oppositional defiant Yeah, I guess. I mean, there are some kids that never have, I mean, maybe they have innocence right out of the womb or 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 only in utero but yeah it is pretty weird so you've studied serial killers pretty extensively because i have one i was going to throw at you to see if you'd ever heard of
1: i know the big hitters but let's see
0: richard trenton chase
1: yeah that one i don't have
0: It's been forever since I've read about him, so I couldn't tell you where he lived and operated, but he was interesting. He was truly insane, like he had some sort of mental issue and was delusional and thought he was a vampire. And he did not try to hide his crimes at all. He just continually slipped through the cracks, just happened to go to the right place to commit a murder or, you know, not to commit. He's just like literally thought he needed blood would just go to a place where there was somebody that he could overtake and there was no witnesses. And then he would leave just at the right time, not trying to evade or elude the police in any way, just like just fell through the cracks. And this happened forever until finally some police ended up at the right place at the right time to catch this guy doing it. So he was uh, just
1: lucky and wouldn't get caught, essentially?
0: Yeah, he was in another world. He literally thought he was a vampire and needed blood or he would die. And So So would he he just,
1: like, drink these people's blood?
0: Well, he started off with animals, and then I think he would slit people's throats. And I guess kind of, like, viewed them as, you know, bovine, like beef or something, you know, just like a food source. and. So, But never tried to hide it, never tried to cover it up, would just do it and walk away, and it just happened to never be in front of people. You know, (laughs) it was weird.
1: He needs to go buy a lottery ticket if Mm. he's still alive.
0: Yeah, I don't know if he is. He was uh, pretty bizarre. But circling back to the book, (laughs) one of the most white-knuckling scenes in the book didn't involve murder at all. It was the actual heart transplant which was written so realistically that I wouldn't be surprised if you had actually witnessed one. So I was curious, have you actually witnessed a transplant like in medical school or as a physician? And if so, can you tell us about it?
1: I've never seen somebody transplanting an organ, but I have seen whenever they've like harvested organs from Mm -hmm. somebody that was like brain dead. That was in medical school. And I mean, I'll be honest, they make you stand in the back. I have a very poor attention span. So like, I don't <laughs> know if I retained a lot from that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So as residents, we had to do trauma rotations. And I was a first year intern on my second day of this trauma rotation. I don't even know where the freaking bathroom is pretty much. <laughs> and they bring in this guy that was like a gunshot wound to the chest. And you know they lost pulses and everything on him. And there's like indications when you crack a person's chest and, you know, he met that. And I'm just standing there and this big burly surgeons, you know, cracking these ribs, spreading stuff, going for the aorta and you can see the heart. Mm -hmm. And that provided a lot of the stuff I remember as far as like how things kind of look. And then the rest of it, you know, I would watch some YouTube videos or read about it.
0: Is it true that they actually do use the little... Paddles to start the heart once I guess the patient's been taken off bypass or whatever they put them on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? Yeah. They look
1: like little, like a soup spoon. It's like,
0: because usually when you defibrillate or shock somebody, it's because they have a spastic rhythm that you're trying to knock back in line. Right. So that actually literally restarts at like jumper cables.
1: Yeah. And it's one of the only instances you would actually like shock something with no rhythm unlike what tv tells you
0: yeah yeah because like every you see in tv it's flat line okay clear it's like no actually you're not supposed to do that exactly yeah damn well no i was about to say damn you gray's anatomy but they were pretty accurate weren't they
1: they're not terrible i mean Mm. i've seen worse sometimes i'm trying to think ones that drive me absolutely nuts Chicago Med sometimes will do some dumb stuff, but I can't recall anything like definitively.
0: You know what used to drive me nuts was House. House was like super accurate in most areas. It seemed like, but then when anybody had a seizure, they would hold them down. Yeah, <laughs> like hold her down. Like, Whoa. I don't know if that's a good idea.
1: <laughs> and then, then whenever she stopped seizing, they're like, it was lupus.
0: Yeah, no, it's never lupus. They always. <laughs> They always throw it out there. There's even a joke. <laughs> and They're like, it's never lupus. <laughs> oh, I love uh, that
1: show. I need to watch that again.
0: Yes, that is one of the few TV shows that I have not only binged watched, but binged more than once. Ooh. Yeah, I think that Breaking Bad and I think there's another one just escaping my mind at the moment. You?
1: I had never seen Breaking Bad until this like last year
0: mm. and my
1: wife talked me into it. That's probably one of the best written shows I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, I mean that's pretty much I think what set streaming service TV shows online. That was so yeah. successful because it was so good. So, you know, I think another good example would be House of Cards. Did you ever watch House of Cards? Mm-hmm. I loved that's House of Cards. Solid. Yeah.
1: And it's like one of those memes where it's like the plot and then it's just Robin Wright. <laughs> That's why I watch House of Cards. Yeah. <laughs> Robin Wright. <laughs> I just love she was so badass.
0: Yeah. Well, because you're a physician the medical aspects of the story were technical and I would assume accurate. I'm not a physician, but they, <laughs> I'm going to use a big word. They smacked a verisimilitude. Ooh. <laughs> did you like that? <laughs>
1: that? Did you get that? Like, a, the, cal, like the word of the yes, day Yes,
0: I app? do. I have the word of the day app. I think that's where I culled that from. So <laughs>
1: yeah, I like that. That was good.
0: <laughs> well, so I was curious to know in the, editing process you know you're told you have to kill your darlings when you wrote it initially did you find that you had gotten a little too technical and an editor or I don't know if you self-edit were like oh I might need to tone this down I'm not writing a textbook
1: (sighs) to a degree I think I'm fairly good at like switching kind of away from the technical aspect just because like normally I'm talking like meme speak or whatever but I did find myself wanting to, like, over-explain yeah. certain things. Mm-hmm. And that part I did have to kind of rein myself in. Mm-hmm. Most of that was self-edited, though.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I ask, I had a um, Guy Quintero on, and he uh, was a reconnaissance soldier, and he writes military thrillers. And so they're very technical, but he was talking about how yeah it's just him being in that position he just wants to rattle off everything the way he would in the position and his editor was like no you've got nobody knows what you're talking about you gotta cut like like 40 percent of this stuff out so
1: <laughs> yeah it is a little difficult although sometimes in the er i guess i'm maybe a little bit better at it because you have to explain things to people that is and true you, can't, you know that you can't is true. like use all these big words that like I can barely even say it sometimes yeah so I think I've kind of learned how to like tone it down a little
0: yeah yeah I didn't even think about that you've got two modes you've got talking to your colleagues as you're working and then explaining stuff to the layman right yeah
1: and the big one every single time you fractured your bone and they're like so did I break it every <laughs> si- it's like a joke yeah it happens all the time
0: but then even when you're dealing with your colleagues, you have the, uh, was it somebody shits themselves? Isn't that a code brown? <laughs> yeah. Universally, that, no, is, that a code is a code brown. brown.
1: <laughs> oh, those are always not fun.
0: Yeah, no. Well, once Casey gets the heart, she begins to have intense nightmares. At first, they disturb her and she can't sleep, but she eventually gets to the point that she enjoys them. And some people say that dreams and or nightmares are the subconscious mind's way of communicating with us. So was this the killer's way of desensitizing Casey? And can you expound a little on that element of the story?
1: So i mean, I have to kind of break that into two thoughts because I guess I don't know exactly what Casey's motivation is like 100%, even mm-hmm. though I made her up, I guess. One thought is like, You know, did his, like, essence kind of poison her? Like, you know, did some of his, not, like, DNA, but, like, his soul kind of enter her cells? And then, you know, when her guard's down, it kind of bleeds into her subconscious. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, if I were to continue on, you know, would she become more and more like him as time goes on? Will Mm -hmm. there be a sequel? I don't know. But the other thought is, you know, maybe she had some, like, Predisposition to this behavior pre transplant? Like, did Owen get a little bit of that from her? And she's never really done anything criminal or murderous. And then, you know, she gets this little extra added influence, even if it's not like his essence or anything. It just kind of pushes her towards these actions. I don't know. It's up for the reader to decide.
0: You bring up a good point. I thought about that with Owen. I think the way. Casey explains it away is that Owen's disposition comes from his father, but I don't know if I'd really call him a sociopath. He's just more of a shitbag, you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. just kind of a dick. I mean, he does do something bad, but I think he was like in, well, I don't want to give anything away, but you know, kind of like in autopilot, you know, something like that. You know, I don't know, but he just didn't really strike me as the type that would, you know, pass on some genes that would create a sociopath. So yeah, I wonder if there was something dormant in Casey.
1: Exactly. That maybe got kind of like switched on. Like we were talking about genes get switched on for Mm -hmm. whatever reason.
0: Yeah. And when did she first notice Owen? Was it the incident at the schoolyard? Was it that late?
1: Uh, I mean, I think that was like the big, big one. Cause I had initially had written more backstory with Owen. Like, You know, she noticed even before he was, like, verbal that he was just kind of aggressive and and things.
2: Yeah.
1: So I think that I kind of cut that out so Mm. earlier, but I make the first reference to it with the bird incident.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well... Once Casey gets the heart and completes the grueling rehab to get back on her feet and ready to go home, she notices some emotional changes have taken place within her since the transplant. And Casey seems like an inherently good person, almost to a fault. (laughs) So she has to fight some pretty insane urges and sometimes isn't able to overcome them, specifically when it comes to her sociopathic son, Owen. (laughs) And I have to admit, I got a lot of satisfaction when it came time for uh, Casey to level some much-needed over-the-top corporal punishment on <laughs> Owen. So I was uh, curious to know, did any of your readers report not liking the fact that through your writing, you somehow made them cheer on the beating of a child? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, um. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> like I hate myself. It's all your fault.
1: <laughs> it, it like sickly pleases me that I was able to do that.
0: Let's <laughs> just make them act against their own predisposition.
1: <laughs> exactly. And I just I love a very morally gray character that mm. does bad things, but for good reasons. Mm. And I mean, like I up the ante with that, and it just pleases me that I got you guys
0: jesus christ that is a huge (laughs) that is the that is the biggest listeners at home i am looking at the biggest (laughs) goddamn mug i have ever seen in my life (laughs) it's got a huge black cat face on it yes my cat epic
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm pretty sure i painted this one uh, birthday when i was a couple wine glasses in
0: okay what is in it if you don't mind me asking Tea. Tea? Okay. Yeah,
1: nothing too exciting.
0: <laughs> All right. If it's, well, I don't know. Tea's got some caffeine. You may not be falling asleep tonight. <laughs>
1: I got a little crazy and put some honey in it. So.
0: Oh, snap. Locally sourced?
1: I got it from Claire's Bees.
0: Oh, God. that's No, I wish. I a, wish I did. Oh, <laughs> I was about to say, that <laughs> as good as it comes from what I hear. She's got the, uh, did she ever come up with a name for it? Um. I think she told me.
1: I think she told you to, and now I don't. I feel like it was her cat's names. Yeah. I see her in a couple of weeks. So I'll ask her more about it.
0: All right. Have you ever tried it? Sampled it? Listeners at home, if you don't know what we're talking about, Claire Castleberry, who has been on the show before, talented author, also apparently a talented beekeeper. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and she's with the same publishing company I'm with, so.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, but I'll ask her.
0: All right. Well, the same thing circling back to the book, the same thing happened with her abusive alcoholic husband, and she had been a doormat for quite some time. So there was a lot of built up pressure that started popping off there are a lot of great horror movies that involve the control of women like Rosemary's Baby. So with regard to the element of a controlled woman, were there any movies, books, or maybe personal experiences, direct or indirect, that informed the narrative of the story?
1: A mix of both. Like you mentioned, there's a ton of movies, books, that deal with the control of women, but one that I recently... Watch that's just been kind of sticking in my mind is Don't Worry, Darling. Have you seen that one? Mm -mm, No. So, Olivia Wilde directed it actually, but so Harry Styles, Florence Pugh, and then Olivia Wilde are in it, but it's like this idyllic, like 1960s California, you know, like the wife meets the husband at the door with a martini and, Mm. you know, gives him a BJ or, you know, whatever. (laughs) And it just looks all perfect. Uh And spoiler alert for the listeners, it turns out to almost be like a simulation where these men will pay this money to like live this fantasy life and Mm. they'll get their significant other, their woman usually, and kind of introduce them into the simulation against their will. It's almost like Stepford YV brainwashing. Oh yeah. It's a good movie. I really enjoyed it. So that one had been lingering in my mind quite a bit. And then, you know, definitely personal experiences. I'm a very big, you know, liberal kind of gal. And I recall going with a friend to Planned Parenthood and like guards had to like take us through this like barricade. People are like screaming and waving signs with dead stuff on it. And <laughs> at one point... uh catholic priest called us a horse and so i'm gonna probably go to hell because i did give him the finger if there <laughs> is a catholic hell <laughs> <laughs> sorry grandma i did do that yeah. <laughs> and so like i think you know the overturning of like roe v wade was weighing in my mind quite a bit writing mm. this
0: gotcha you know you mentioned did you say olivia wilde Mm-hmm. yeah I wish I could remember the name of it. Let's see. There is a really good horror movie that has three people in it. One is Anna Gunn, Skyler from Breaking Bad. Mhm. Okay. She's the lead role, but she also wrote and directed this film. And I can't remember the name of it, but it is so good. And like the third person really doesn't have that big of a role. She's just kind of a character actor. It's basically her and this other man in a house Mm. completely contained setting. I'll have to look it up and send it to you. But yeah, definitely check that out.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, so there are. Some very violent scenes in the book, but they aren't gratuitous and were definitely relevant to the story arc. And I've interviewed a lot of authors that get comments on Amazon and Goodreads, as well as personal messages on their social media admonishing them for writing such graphic scenes. So, have you had to deal with anything like that? And if so, what has your response been?
1: I've been lucky enough not to have come across anything yet. Knock on wood. As, far as Yeah, it you know it's coming, though. <laughs> but I think part of that is I had two very good beta readers, um, Aaron and Gina, who offered me pretty much the, the best feedback because initially I feel like some of the violence might have been a little bit too much. And they mm. were like, how about you scale that oh. back?
0: I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I understand... Killing your darlings for technical details, but you should leave the violence. Oh, no, I'm just playing.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> leave the violence in the uncensored, like movies do, the director's cut. Yeah, exactly. Like the dark Maybe show. I'll
1: release it one day.
0: <laughs> anyway, I interrupted you. What were you saying?
1: Oh, no. Mostly, I mean, I've gotten lucky not to have to have dealt with that yet, but it's going to happen. Come on.
0: Yeah. And your uh, beta readers, what other input did you get
1: So initially I had written two cops within there that were trying to discover who the serial killer was. Mm. So they were the reason that this was found out. But I mean, like, it didn't really need to happen. So I cut that entire part. There's some good jokes in there, which made me sad, but I'll just use them later.
0: (laughs) Was it did they say it was giving the reader mixed signals, I suppose? (laughs) I suppose, yeah.
1: It was just unnecessary too. I mean, maybe one day I can explore how they figure out it was a serial killer, but
0: Well, I mean as far as the humor.
1: Oh, well. I mean I'm just hilarious, so was it
0: dark humor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what other I kind in, is there? What kind of question is yeah. that? <laughs> I work in the ER. Come on, yeah. <laughs> Well, at a certain point in the story, Casey begins exacting revenge on behalf of other people, not only to protect them, but it seems like she's sublimating a very dangerous, unhealthy urge. So myself, I have a very addictive personality, so I have all kinds of unhealthy urges that I sublimate into being a workaholic, which isn't exactly healthy, but definitely healthier and not looked down upon by society for the most part sure so uh a deep dark Jungian question going your way <laughs> do you have any activity that you engage in as a form of sublimation you don't have to tell me the urge that you're suppressing <laughs> but do you have something you do to sublimate some some Jungian shadow urges
1: oh yeah running is that for me it's a big stress reliever i'm one of those psychopaths that get up and then go run before work. Mm. Yeah.
0: So you're a, uh, a marathon. Well, actually you say in the back of the book, you ran a marathon.
1: I did. I ran a marathon my senior year of college. Again, it was like a bucket list thing Mm. and about halfway, yeah, 16 miles into the marathon. I was like, I wish I were dead and I never have done this. So I've never (laughs) done another marathon. (laughs) Like, After I finished, I couldn't walk straight for probably like five days. Like I had to go downstairs backwards, Uh looking back also now having like my medical knowledge. I'm pretty sure that I was in rhabdo, like all my muscles were broken down. Yeah. yeah, Like I was peeing like straight up tea, like tea colored urine. So that's your muscles like breaking down and Uh see all that in there and probably should have gone to the hospital, but I'm all right.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you're the doctor. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's fine.
0: Now, a marathon is 22 miles?
1: 26.2.
0: 26.2. So if running is sublimation for unhealthy urges, what did you run 26.2 miles for? Did you kill somebody?
1: (sighs) We were supposed to talk about that, Vince. (laughs) (laughs) I can
0: edit it out. You can tell me. (laughs) This is not live. This is pre recorded. I'll, I'll edit it out later. Just tell me if you killed somebody.
1: <laughs> then I'll have to kill you if I tell you. You see, though, it's a whole
0: not thing. if I edit it out.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, no.
0: Okay.
1: Or at least that's what I'm telling you, right?
0: Yeah. I feel so shortchanged right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking of unhealthy urges, these acts of. <laughs> These acts of violence are very sexually stimulating for Casey. So is this part of the DNA of the killer's heart she has implanted within her? Or is this related to her own violence-linked sexual frustration? Or maybe more apt would be sexual anger.
1: When I wrote it, I interpreted it more as, like, his essence kind of poisoning her, pushing her towards that. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean I guess she you know she did have a good time so good for her <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know when I do publish this episode I always use author picks whatever author pick you decide to use needs to include that mug
2: <laughs> oh it will <laughs> we can just do
0: so, that just so everybody that listens to it can then look at the picture and be like that's what they're talking about that thing is fucking huge <laughs> it is really big isn't it it's like the size of <laughs> Yeah, like, <laughs> you could wear it as a hat.
1: <laughs> uh, I really could. Well, mm. I'm staying hydrated, so.
0: This is good. Green tea?
1: Um, Some mint tea, I don't know.
0: Mm. Oh, you're drinking the bedtime tea? The mint Lavender? Yeah, I don't know if it has
1: cap, something like that. Uh, I don't know, it says Lipton on it. I'm not very fancy.
0: I'm well, <laughs> not a purist? Yeah. <laughs> Well, a lot of people love characters like Dexter who engage in graphic violence and murder that's considered righteous because it's being exacted upon someone that's committed unjustified acts of violence themselves. People also love, as we've spoken about already, true crime media, and for that matter, the UFC, I know, (laughs) is pretty big. So... What do you think that says about the default human condition? Are we all itching for a little violence underneath our civility?
1: I would say a little bit. I mean, you know, there's a reason that public executions back in the day were like a social event where you take mm. a freaking picnic basket and just watch some guy get his head chopped off, you yeah. know? And if you kind of think about it to a point, I would think that evolution has kind of like selected a little bit for violence mm-hmm. you know if you kill people before they're able to pass on their dna and they were nice and then you're able to pass on your dna and you're a douche i mean statistically mm. maybe your progeny will be a douche a little bit
0: <laughs> the douches <laughs> shall rise the, the rise, the of, the rise douche. of the douches <laughs>
1: Uh, Can we uh, make a movie or something like that? Rise of the Douche.
0: Mm. Yeah, but Rise of the Douche would follow a colon. Like, what would be the actual title?
1: Hmm. Mm. Mega.
0: <laughs> Mega, the Rise of the Douche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you see this? It looks like I have no tooth. A little bit. I don't know. You no know happened just, there? Nothing. I have a tooth. It's just making it look that way. <laughs> Like this key light is like making me look toothless. I thought it was supposed to make me look good. It's having the opposite effect. Oh, stop. You look beautiful. Just stop it right now. (laughs) (laughs) You say that to all the podcasters.
1: (laughs) I I mean, maybe, but you guys are very attractive. So there's
0: that. Yeah. Well, the ending of the book, as we alluded to already, left the possibility of a sequel. Will we see or hear from Casey again? And will we see her coming?
1: (laughs) She'll have her Crocs in sport mode, so...
0: Oh, shit. Yeah,
1: so she's fucking ready, but I've been kicking around the idea of a sequel for sure. I don't have any plans, but they're marinating.
0: Well, that could entail a a colon, you know, like we were talking about, right? Not Rise of the Douche, not for Casey. but. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it would be the broken heart colon blah what would it be the murder of the douche
1: (laughs) (laughs) douche murder party
0: (laughs) douche murder party (laughs) i mean that's what she does towards the end right is murder douches
1: i mean more or less yeah she's it's not far-fetched
0: the douche (laughs) dauber Uh, I don't even know if that makes sense. What does dabbing even mean? I know there's mud dabbers.
1: <laughs> don't they have the dabbers for like bingo? You know, the like. Is that dabbing? what those are called? It might be a dabber. A dabber? I don't know. Mm. But then dabbing's like what the kids do with the. Yeah. Like that.
0: Which is kind of douchey.
1: True.
0: Douche dabbing. Uh,
1: death mm. of the douche dabbers. The broken death, heart death, death of the douche death dabbers. Death of the
0: douche dabbers. We're going to get this one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're workshopping it. It's going to yeah. go well.
0: Listeners at home, I apologize, but this is the creative process. You're going to have to uh, muscle through it with us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, so in the acknowledgments, you make reference to your, quote, fellow wordsmith, Shadrin, Shadrin,
1: uh, Shadrin,
0: Shadrin. Oh, totally wrong. Who uh, understands the necessity of creative pursuits while working in healthcare? So were you referring to the relaxation that art can bring from having a stressful job or the catharsis it brings from PTSD from being exposed to suffering and death? And can you expound on that and your gallows humor? (laughs) (laughs) I like
1: that. Suffering and death. Let's talk more about that. Let's
0: talk more about that.
1: A mix of both. I sometimes can find writing to be a bit therapeutic, Mm -hmm. you know, working through your own issues. You don't have to pay a psychiatrist or a therapist. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm saving money. So there's that. (laughs) And really the whole COVID pandemic was what kind of got me into writing Mm -hmm. because I'd always wanted to write a novel. It was much like the marathon Mm -hmm. on my bucket list. And like, kind of coping with all the stuff we saw during covid it was a way to deal with like you said the ptsd and whatnot and it gave me like a goal you know like my entire life's been okay i gotta study for this do the mcat get into med school it's always like you're working towards something Mm. and then as an attending you finished it you're there Mm. And so I think I was kind of like struggling with not having something to work towards as well. Yeah. So it definitely perked my spirits up for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, so obviously it's common for levity's sake to have not only a sense of humor, but a dark sense of humor. If you work in a field like the medical field or a police officer, did you have what you would call a gallows sense of humor before getting into your field? Or oh, yeah, 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 so nothing changed. You were ready to go, <laughs> oh, my
1: like humor's on point, man,
0: yeah,
1: but no, I mean, I was always just kind of a weird kid that thought like screwed up stuff was funny, but I will say my therapist did say it's a very good coping mechanism,, mm-hmm. so there's that,
0: yeah, yeah, art is definitely. I would go so far as to say it's better than a coping mechanism because, I mean, you're uh, productively channeling a lot of angst right out of you into whatever you're working on. And it's not, you know, like you channeling angst. You're like, oh, so you're working on something dark. It doesn't even necessarily have to be dark. I think people probably produce like what you would consider to be like classically beautiful stuff like, you know, a nice landscape, but there's something really dark behind it. You know what I mean? (laughs)
1: That's probably true. Yeah, yeah. Like they're working through stuff.
0: Yeah, I would not be surprised if painters paint like these idyllic landscapes in the countryside with beautiful sun and uh, animals frolicking in the field, but they've got PTSD from being deployed to Afghanistan for four years or something like that. It wouldn't surprise me.
1: No. Yeah, it wouldn't for me either. Yeah. It's like you said, a way to cope with it and get out there. Maybe you can entertain somebody else in the meantime.
0: But then I also believe that. Do you subscribe to Jung at all? As far as his concept of the human psyche,
1: remind me. I can't. Well, like
0: the unconscious, the shadow, the collective unconscious, all that. Are you more of a materialist, being a woman of science? <laughs>
1: <laughs> a little bit mix of both. I do believe that, like a lot of the stuff is simmering in the subconscious. And hasn't Stephen King talked about that? There's like a collective, like pool that we can kind of draw from
0: yeah like I mean that's kind of a Jungian concept he believed in a the collective unconscious you know we're born and we're not necessarily trained or even exposed to any sort of classic archetypes they just exist independently so like the hero's journey that a lot of authors follow for their stories is just this inherent archetypal journey that is present in all civilizations whether it be acting out plays or writing or art. So I was just curious. The reason I brought it up is because my personal opinion of horror writers is that they're doing what Jung said you have to do to be an individuated person, which is integrating with your shadow, not repressing it because you're letting it out in your writing, not letting it overtake you because you're not going ape shit, but integrating with it by producing a piece of art. A piece of very dark art.
1: Yeah, I guess I do. Yeah, I would agree with yeah. that. Then.
0: Yes, indeed. Well, as a physician, what is your work schedule like and how did you fit in the writing of The Broken Heart? I mean, I know you told me with COVID what you would normally be doing, I guess, with friends and family, kind of got the kibosh put on that. But uh, did you kind of work it into your work schedule in any particular way?
1: So, I do half like swing shifts and then probably half night shifts. And initially when COVID started, like nobody was coming to the hospital. Everybody was like terrified to like leave the house or mingle. Mm -hmm. And we would go some nights where we wouldn't see a patient for like four or five hours, which is like insane.
0: Bizarre. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I would write um, at work because I mean, what else am I going to do?
0: Make a TikTok Uh, video.
2: If I had rhythm, maybe, but
1: I don't. I tried to teach myself how to do the backpack boy in the Katy Perry video. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: I've seen multiple different dances that they do. I just couldn't tell you the names of them.
1: (laughs) Well, it looked like I grabbed like a freaking electric fence or something. It didn't work. But I would write sometimes if it was like dead at the ER. But most of the time. I'll write before I work like a night shift. Mm-hmm. I'll sleep until like, eh, I don't know, 2 p.m. Write for a couple hours and then go about my day.
0: And don't you guys work something ridiculous? Like, I feel like I remember hearing something like sometimes, maybe it's medical students work like 17-hour shifts or something.
1: It depends. If you worked at a very small ER that's not super busy, mm-hmm. some people work like a 24-hour shift and you know they'll sleep in a call mm-hmm. room. And if patients come in, they'll wake up. I'm very delicate. So a 12-hour shift makes me very upset. (laughs) So I do nines. But yeah, as a resident, you work some pretty crazy hours. And that's even after they did all the work hour reform too. When I was on my um, medical ICU rotation, you would have Q, four-day call, Mm -hmm. which means like every fourth day you were on call for 28 hours Mm. so like i would be the senior resident of my team and i'd have a junior resident Mm -hmm. and like you have an attending available to you but like overnight you know shit's hitting the fan and you're the one that has to deal with it like you wouldn't sleep for an entire 28 hours while people are trying to die and you have to do procedures i mean it's intense
0: were you drinking coffee out of that mug (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes, <laughs> they actually had this coffee kiosk uh-huh. and one of the workers was like, hey, are you on call tonight? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> she's like, I'll make you a red eye. And it had like seven shots of espresso in it. Oh, and I was shit. just like, oh, I could see <laughs> the a future. Sounds. Yeah, <laughs> I could oh. see the future. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much Prophesy.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Well. When it came to the actual concept for writing the book, were you inspired by any other writers who are physicians? Like one that comes to my mind would be like Tess Gerritsen, for example.
1: So, yeah, I don't know if you know, like Freedom McFadden. Mm-mm. She does a lot of like kind of medical thrillers, and, and she's also pretty good at like injecting humor. Mm. I mean, your standard ones like Michael Crichton and Robin Cook. And then there's another uh, physician. But I mean,
0: oh, those, Michael Crichton's a physician? Mm hmm. Holy shit. How did I not know that?
1: I don't think he actually practiced, though. So I think he did medical school uh-huh. and he was writing, and I think his writing took off. So I okay. don't think he actually ever practiced medicine. Oh, But okay. he had a medical degree. Okay. Yeah. Look at that. I taught you something today. I that.
0: know. I'm I so am proud of uh... myself. The, the douche is rising. I'm getting more <laughs> knowledge, <laughs> uh, but I feel like I cut you off. You were
1: oh um, yeah, there is one other physician. her name is Lydia Kang, so she does kind of like historical thrillers, like a lot of poisoning kind of stuff, mm. and she also writes Star Wars stuff, so,
0: oh, yeah, interesting double threat mm. Yeah, I noticed you're uh, evidently a Star Wars fan. I noticed the uh, shirt you were sporting at—you're uh, at some sort of a function with a table. I can't remember.
1: Oh, uh, I think it was, uh, yeah, Hellbound
0: the, books. Yeah.
1: The horror con, Yeah, it was yeah. a Boba Fett shirt, and he has—he's like a skeleton though. He's awesome. awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, in addition to the technical medical details in your book, do you feel that your job gives you an edge in any other aspect of writing?
1: definitely <laughs> so working in the ER you see people from literally every walk of life mm. so you're interacting with people you probably otherwise never would talk to you know mm. I'm always like filing stuff away like that would make a good character mm. or you know that was a funny little joke I'm stealing that one so <laughs> uh, yeah definitely
0: do you commit the cardinal sin of using uh, people that you work with as characters <laughs> <laughs> Do you threaten him? Like, watch your mouth. I'll make you a character in my book. (laughs) In
1: one of my short stories, it's like a zombie short story and the tech gets immediately murdered. And I asked one of our techs who also cat sets for us. I was like, hey, is it okay if I just, you know, like, use you to get murdered by a zombie? And she's like, (laughs) yeah, it's super cool. What are you talking about? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Like Fuck yeah, murder me, goddammit. <laughs>
1: Especially in the middle of the shift. She's like, please, just do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she wants vicariously to die through your, your fiction. <laughs> Especially
1: after a Code Brown, you know?
0: Oh, God. The Code Brown. Code Brown, Rise of the Dooms. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're going to make something good out of this. It's going to happen.
0: By the end of the show, we're going to have something with a colon. Wow. We're talking about shit, and I just said colon. There you go. Ha! We can work that into it somehow.
1: Can you play like a little... Oh,
0: you know, I did have that at one time. I've got applause. I can do applause. Would you like some applause? Yes, I would. Oh, it would help if I turned it up. There we go. Can't hear it?
1: I can't. Oh,
0: Oh, you know what? I have a special way that I route the audio for this, so it's blocked. My bad. Listeners at Damn home... It. I apologize for cheating you out of applause. <laughs> oh, the rise of the douche. Anyway. He's back again. He's back again. <laughs> uh, well, what is the strangest way you have gotten an idea for a short story?
1: I just think really weird stuff at baseline, I think.
0: Yeah. That's your default. You idle at crazy. Yeah.
1: Just like, yeah, just the weirdest shit. like. We had a bird built a nest on like our front door wreath. And I was like, what if those eggs were human eyeballs? Mm. And my wife's like, what in the fuck is wrong with you? And I was like, (laughs) I really don't know. Yeah. So it's just like mostly just really random weird stuff I think about.
0: Yeah. Just something catches your eye and starts the rumination.
1: Yeah. I just like gross things, I guess, at baseline. Mm
0: so do you like splatterpunk at all yes okay but you would have to find different beta readers to write splatterpunk (laughs) they those two wouldn't (laughs) tolerate
1: (laughs) i do have one story in hellbound books anthology of splatterpunk actually
0: oh yeah i remember seeing that now is your brand of splatterpunk gross gore or both Am I going to cringe or throw up?
1: (laughs) A little of both, maybe?
0: Yeah? Okay.
1: Yeah. It's good. I think you'd like it. You should read it. Then you're going to be like, oh, man, that girl needs another therapist or something.
0: Mm, Either that or a publication deal. One of the two. (laughs) (laughs) One or the other. Yeah. Well, do you need a particular writing atmosphere? I know you said during COVID, during your downtime, you took the occasion to write at work, but... If you had your way, do you prefer a particular atmosphere?
1: I'm not terribly picky as long as I have music to listen to.
0: And that big-ass cup.
1: That's right. <laughs> so my wife is a nurse practitioner, and we actually work for the same group. And sometimes we'll have shifts that kind of line up. So we'll drive to work together, and then you know maybe she has two hours left and I'm done. So I'll go and... Our meditation room, where Mm. you know you can go to relax, cry, you know, wherever. Mm. And I'll often write in there, so I'm just writing with my headphones on. You'll hear Code Blue, and I'm like, that sucks. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sucks
1: for a lot of people, actually,
0: right now, but not me. (laughs) Do you guys have teams that go to those? Are you talking about a Code Blue in the emergency room?
1: So I work in a small. ER and a community hospital. So if there was a code in the hospital, we have to respond to that. So it'd be like me, the charge nurse, and maybe another nurse.
0: Gotcha. Well, listeners at home, I am taking up the book in my hands and displaying it proudly. Did you come up with the concept of not only the fist kind of representing the heart with the branches up top. But did you also kind of play on the notion that they say that the size of the heart is the size of a closed fist?
1: So, oddly enough, the cover artist honestly just nailed it. Yeah, You know, they kind of asked, like, what do you think the cover should be? I was like, well, I mean, an anatomical heart Mm -hmm. and blood and a knife. That's pretty much what I told them. And they're like, got it. Damn. Yeah, I mean, that was like probably one of the first designs that they showed me. And I was like, yep, that's it. We're done.
0: Wow. And the prompts were anatomical heart, blood, and a knife. Yep. Wow. And who is this? Who do we need to give a plug?
1: Her name is Raj. She's uh, from, I believe, Asia. All right. Yeah, she killed it.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, is there anything you do outside of reading that you feel fosters your creativity?
1: I like to sketch as well. My grandfather, who's probably one of my biggest like role models, like mentor, Mm -hmm. he used to do a lot of like oil painting, nature stuff, cowboys, stuff like that. And I don't know if it's maybe a little bit of like familial talent or, you know, me just watching him, but I've gotten really into like sketching, acrylics. I got this tablet now to do like online stuff, but oh. I'm kind of like a a noob at programs. You know, I'm like an old lady. I don't understand <laughs> what's ever happening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you have any plans to possibly design your own cover work?
1: I would like to. I think I would have to get better at
0: mm. well, yeah, like, eventually the
1: programs. But yeah, I would like to.
0: Okay well do you ever get writer's block and if so do you have any hacks for getting out of it
1: i sometimes get a hack (laughs) (laughs) i wish one of my cats would just throw up a hairball just to make it even better (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i mean if i do get like stuck on a certain story i'll just you know move to a different project because I'm one of those people. I'll have a couple things going at a time. Mm -hmm. So if this one's not vibing, I'll go with the other one. And I mean, I've been lucky enough that I haven't really had any issues.
0: Mm. Yeah. Don't ever uh, get up and take a run.
1: Um, I do. Yeah, I guess I do. Sometimes I'll do a lot of, I think it's almost like background thinking though, where I'm not actually like thinking about it and then it'll come to me. Hmm like disengage, you know? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I do do my psychotic running sometimes.
0: (laughs) Well, kind of converse to that. Is there anything you avoid because you feel it stifles your creativity? No cocaine?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, sadly. No. Although, did you know that whenever they didn't have like work hour restrictions, like when medicine was really getting going in, like, the early Uh 1900s-ish, that, like, physicians were using cocaine to stay up all those hours.
0: Yeah. Wasn't cocaine in Coca-Cola at that time?
1: Yep. And then they took it away like assholes.
0: I bet uh, their sales were a lot better. I bet.
1: Well, have you ever seen, like, those old-timey things? It's like, have your child stop coughing, and it's like, opium, cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like... (laughs)
0: Tylenol. Tylenol doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't work for anything for me. I mean, I'm sure other people take it like it doesn't work for a headache. It doesn't work for back pain. It doesn't take away a fever for me. Like it's just completely useless for some reason for me.
1: You're impervious.
0: Well, I mean, ibuprofen works. I don't understand why Tylenol doesn't do its job.
1: I like ibuprofen better too. If I had to fangirl over one.
0: Yeah fangirl fangirl of the ibuprofen rise of the douche <laughs>
1: maybe that could be my next like i can draw like a comic book and it's just woman with a cape uh-huh. fan of the ibuprofen
0: yeah have advil on the back <laughs> Well, tell me about your work, Just Desserts. I saw that bookmark that came in your book. I saw Just Desserts, and I thought maybe you had like some sort of nothing but cake like business on the side or something. <laughs> but uh, apparently it's a book. I, wish.
1: <laughs> I do bake a pretty mean cherry pie, though, for Thanksgiving. Oh, snap. Yeah, I'm right. pretty proud of that.
0: Okay. But uh,
1: there are no recipes, alas. Yeah, sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so
1: this is probably one of those. Instances in which I was channeling some therapy, like
0: Uh, stuff. Okay,
1: so it's it's kind of this this is the
0: one where you killed somebody and you had to channel,
1: you know, a little bit. (laughs) If you read to the end, you'll figure out who it was. So you have to buy the book. No,
0: no, I'm talking about you personally. This is you actually (laughs) killed somebody. You're like, all right, I got to write something to get this out of my head.
1: (laughs) You'll never know, will you?
0: Uh, Steepling, steepling the fingers.
1: Mr. Burns style. Uh, um, excellent. <laughs> excellent. So Just Desserts is kind of like my take on Carrie, almost. So it's a girl that was bullied in high school pretty relentlessly, and then she goes to a 20-year high school reunion and poisons everybody by poisoning the tiramisu. Oh,
0: don't ruin tiramisu. I know. I love
1: tiramisu.
0: <laughs> I love
1: it. But it was kind of born from this like very unhealthy obsession I had with my like rival in high school, which was completely unnecessary, but I kind of channeled that into the book.
0: Uh, What kind of rival are we talking about?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we both ran uh, cross country and track.
0: Oh, okay. So it was like a sporting thing.
1: Yeah. And she was better than me and I didn't handle it very well
0: (laughs) so you wrote you wrote a book about murdering her
1: i mean not murdering her but just murdering the entire class yeah yeah and i don't want to murder my entire class either i mean they're all right yeah it just seemed you know extra
0: that escalated quickly it did (laughs) got a little dark yeah (laughs) Well, you have a novella coming out October 5th, very uniquely titled, and I don't know how you kind of have the intonation in your head, but I'm just going to do my interpretation of it. The title is, It's Me. Hi, I'm the zombie. It's me. Uh, (laughs) Did I get it right?
1: I mean, I liked it. Yeah.
0: Uh, I'll put some work into it. And it was (laughs) inspired by your weekend at StokerCon. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So... It was my first time ever going to mm-hmm. any kind of book con. You know, I've been to medical stuff and then I've been <laughs> I've been to Star Wars celebration, which was <laughs> amazing. But it was the first time I'd ever been to any kind of con like that. And we were lucky enough that the hotel that was holding Stoker Con was also near the stadium where Taylor Swift was playing like three shows, I think, that weekend. Mm-hmm. So there's all these like you know, girls and glittery sequin stuff, spraying hairspray everywhere, mm. bluffing their hair. And then you have people that, I mean, generally are wearing black, kind of goth chains. And uh, just kind of the, like, stark contrast uh, amused me. And, <laughs> you know, I just thought it would be funny, like, what if they were forced to, like, work together? Mm. And StokerCon was in Pittsburgh, where George Romero was from. Mm. So... Zombies.
0: Gotcha. All right. Yeah. And that's coming out October 5th?
1: October 5th.
0: All right. Well, what is your taste in the way of film?
1: I I like pretty much anything. I mean, I obviously I Besides like Star Hard. Wars.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Star Wars is great. Prequels especially. Mm. I know. It's a controversial take, I guess, sometimes, but
0: Yeah. Whatever.
1: Um, (laughs) You want to know how big of a Star Wars nerd I am? Go for it. Whenever I was a senior in high school, that's when Revenge of the Sith was coming out. Okay. And the day it was coming out was like senior ditch day where most people would like, you know, go party, get drunk, like Mm -hmm. maybe hook up with somebody. And instead, my friend and I went to the movie theater starting at like noon. And just Mm -hmm. sat out there so we could get tickets, which was pretty stupid because our entire hometown has maybe like 10,000 people in it. Like, we're going to (laughs) get tickets.
0: And so you saw a matinee or this was just to make sure you got tickets for like an evening showing?
1: It was the opening, yeah, opening show. Okay. Yeah. We weren't in danger of not getting tickets ever.
0: (laughs) So. (laughs) Not once. (laughs) so from the time you got the tickets until was it that day like how much
1: so we were just scared we wouldn't get in line for tickets I don't know what was wrong with us but we literally showed up at like noon and the show started at like seven
0: so it was that day yeah Oh, okay so you were waiting in a line that didn't exist right it was just us <laughs> two, yeah. <laughs> yeah did you like camp out like pop a tent
1: We we had a lot of snacks, (laughs) and I think I was still when Game Boys were around, so we were just like playing on that, and I'm pretty sure we had like fake lightsabers that we hit each other with. Nice. Yeah, so that's how big of a nerd I am. (laughs) So, Star Wars, obviously. Uh I just, I kind of like mindless action films, too. Do you really like John
0: Wick and stuff like that?
1: I've actually never seen John Wick, but like... I mean, I'm going to admit, I like stuff like from Michael Bay because, well, usually Megan Fox is in it. So there's that. And then explosions. I don't know. I I think I just like
0: explosions and Megan Fox. (laughs) Yeah,
1: pretty much. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, the next question I want to kind of, for lack of a better word, dissect your existence into two spaces. (laughs) So Tell us a little bit about the life of N.J. Gallegos, the physician.
1: The physician? The physician. Well, I'm kind of like Patch Adams, except like kind of fucked up, you know, like (laughs) I make like dark humor jokes, but I don't know. I try not to be like super stuffy. Like when I talk to patients and stuff like I'm a doctor, like, no, I just try to joke around and be real with people and then you know, harass the nurses a little bit, and then they harass me. It's a whole
0: thing. <laughs> gotcha. Do you introduce yourself as Dr. Gallegos?
1: I usually say Dr. G.
0: Dr. G? Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. you, yeah, you, you kind of have to let them know who you are. Like, who is this person just walked up? Yeah. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> and tell and me lot- all your pertinent personal information.
1: <laughs> Let's take a look at that buttocks you got on you yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm going to insert a finger into your rectum and I need you to clench <laughs> down.
1: <laughs> this won't hurt me a bit. I promise.
0: Yes. All right. So what is the life of NJ Gallegos like outside of writing and medicine?
1: I'm a bit of a homebody. I like to hang out at my house with my two cats, my wife. I have a shameful addiction to reality TV. Yeah. Like real housewives.
0: So does my fiance. She likes a ninety-day fiance. hmm Love is blind. Rise of the douche. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so your fiance has great taste in TV then.
0: Yeah, she says she watches it because it makes her feel better about her own life when she sees these <laughs> other people.
1: <laughs> I kind of do that with like, do you ever watch like My Strange Addiction where it's like they're eating like laundry detergent uh-uh. and you're like, well, at least I'm not doing that.
0: What's that called? Pica or something.
1: Yeah. Where they'll eat just random crap.
0: Yeah. 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 No, I kind of stick to, uh, reading and, uh, I don't know. I can sit still to read, but I don't have really the patience to sit still to watch something for some reason. Like me and her will watch horror movies Mm-hmm. like our weekly things sometimes, but even then I can't seem to sit still. It's just like my dad, my dad used to drive my mom nuts when we were watching a movie. Cause he would get up and just do shit and <laughs> then come back and be like, what happened? <laughs> like if <like, laughs> You would have just fucking sat still. <laughs>
1: uh, and then but now you are him.
0: Yes. Unfortunately.
1: Isn't that the worst when you become your parents?
0: Yeah. You used to criticize them and then you become them. Yep. Mm. Yep. Well, NJ, it has been fascinating talking with you.
1: I have had a great time, actually.
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, as we bring the show to a close, is there anything you'd like to plug or let your readers know about?
1: Yeah. So what did you say it was? September 14th, right? Uh-huh. So in just five short days, The Broken Heart debuts. debuts. so debuts, I would advise you guys to go pre-order it on Amazon. Although, I guess whenever you drop this, right? Whatever. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, yeah. It'll be after the release. So.
1: Well, then don't pre-order it. Just order it then. (laughs) 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 And, um, yeah. I'll have the It's Me. Hi. It's me. I'm the zombie. Now I can't even remember the (laughs) fucking name of it.
0: Jesus.
1: (laughs) You do it again.
0: Well, I thought that was the name of it. Is it not?
1: It is, but I feel like I said it wrong. Like, I think I said the sequence wrong.
0: Uh, hi, it's me, I'm the zombie, hi, it's me, or something? It's
1: me, hi, I'm the zombie, it's me.
0: Yeah, it's me, yeah. hi, I'm the zombie, it's me.
1: It's based on the Taylor Swift lyrics of Anti so I get confused, because I want to, like, say the actual lyrics.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. But
1: anyway, that will be dropping October 5th. Okay. And... I'm currently working on my second novel, Mm -hmm. which entails a neurologist that installs like migraine chips to help stop migraines. But um, the side effect could be murder.
0: Murder, you say?
1: Murder, most foul.
0: Mm. And that. (laughs) 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 I feel like I should go scene.
1: (laughs) And cut. Yeah, that was good, wasn't it? Yeah. But if you guys want to follow me on my socials, you could go to Twitter. I'm at Dr. Spooky underscore ER. Mm -hmm. I share a lot of pictures of my cats and just dumb stuff I say, essentially. And then I also have a personal site, njgallegos.com. And Gallegos is G-A-L-L-E-G-O-S.
0: Yes, indeed. (laughs) well all right listeners at home you will not have to worry about remembering any of that because all links will be in the description
1: even better look at that
0: absolutely so make sure to check out the broken heart make sure to check out the additional links in the description follow her on uh, i was about to say twitter but isn't it x now i guess Follow her on the website formerly known as Twitter. (laughs) And, NJ, thank you again for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me, Vince. I appreciate this. You were very attractive the entire time.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much. You as well. (laughs) And thank you to everyone that tuned in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Be sure to tune in next Tuesday when I will be joined by a writer with an incendiary story, both figuratively and literally. So until then, stay healthy, stay sane, and as always, thank you for listening. See you next time.